You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome in to Big Noon Sports. I'm Lars Anderson. My running partner, Matt Coulter, has the day off today. A lot of topics to get to. Yankee pitcher throws a no-hitter. We're going to get to that. Um, I didn't get a chance to get into the tragedy of uh, what happened to Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver, to his family. I got to know Jimmy and uh, Shandy, uh, his wife, Chandra, very, very well and um, wrote multiple SI cover stories on them and uh, tragedy struck their family. Now, I want to just sort of get into that. And also, uh, I want to discuss Simone Biles. And um, and Simone Biles is... uh, made an announcement that she is going to be returning to the sport of gymnastics and uh, as you remember Simone was really the face of the Rio games uh, for the entire Olympic team and um, and she is going to be participating in a single day event on August 5th in uh, in Illinois and Simone has taken most of the last two years off following uh, what happened in Japan at the Olympics in 2021, where you will remember uh, her decision to remove herself from multiple events to focus on her mental health. It really shifted the focus of those entire games to, to not just on the games themselves, but to the overall wellness of athletes. And I, I really think that this was a, a seismic moment in sort of the history of, of athletics. When you have someone who I consider uh, the greatest athlete in the world, and uh, we'll get into that more later. I, I wrote a 5,000 word piece on Simone as a walk up to the 2016 uh, Olympics in Rio and uh, went down to her home gym in Houston and and uh, spoke with uh, uh, the, the person she calls her mom, she's adopted, uh, and, and her dad and brothers. And, uh, you know, Simone has had a difficult, challenging life. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I think it was really good for her to walk away, uh, to, to sit out uh, a, a few events in the, during the games because she was dealing with what is known in the gymnastics world, and I'm no gym, gymnastic expert, that's for sure, with what's called uh, the twisties. And that's a gymnastics term for when uh, an athlete loses their spatial awareness when they're airborne. And when you go flying into the air as high as Simone Biles, you do not want to lose your spatial awareness of where you are. Uh, it could it could literally be deadly, and uh, I, I've said this to many people. 
I've only seen one human being be able to fly in my life, and that is Simone Biles. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about Simone uh, in, in more depth, and I, I want to just get into the, her, her backstory and, and really explain who Simone is and why, uh, what were the uh, major influences in her life. But you have to remember, remember back in, in Japan, um, she uh, served as a cheerleader, right? As her teammates won silver in, uh, in the team event. And then she sat out the all-around uh, and she was the reigning all-around champion. She was the heavy favorite to win the all-around. And then she sat out the vault and the floor. Um, and, uh, and she just, uh, you know, needed to focus on herself. And again, I think it really shifted the entire narrative of those Olympic Games more to on an, the athlete's mental well-being and the pressures that they're under and what they have to endure than the actual Games itself. And I think that is a good thing. But I want to kick off today uh, with a uh, kind of a funny story. Um, and I, I don't know if it's made the rounds in Tuscaloosa. I'm, I'm sure it has. Uh, and I came across it while reading uh, golf.com. And it's, uh, it's about the measures that Nick Saban once took to make a tee time. And we all know that uh, Coach Saban loves his golf. I've, uh, I've had the pleasure of swinging the sticks with him uh, a couple times and he's got a nice swing uh, and he, uh, he likes to, to talk and kid and, and kind of just be you know one of the guys out on the, out on the course just like everybody. And I, I think really his closest group of friends in Tuscaloosa are his, his golfing buddies. And so uh, this story, it, it, it comes from a former Bama staffer named Tyler Siski, who joined Saban staff in 2013 as the associate director of player personnel. And he now hosts a podcast called McCready and Siski Podcast. And it was uh, during a recent episode that uh, Tyler Siski shared his, uh, quote, welcome to Alabama moment. And it illustrates it illustrates Saban's not not just his passion for golf, but it, it, it illustrates so much more about uh, Saban's planning and uh, and just uh, his meticulousness uh, and just how how he operates. I mean, you really could extract a lot, a lot about who Coach Saban is from this story. And so uh, it goes back uh, one day that, uh, uh, and this is all according to Siski, uh, Saban held a staff meeting at 7.30 a.m. in, in T-Town, uh, right there in the Malmore Athletic Offices. And, um, I mean, you have to remember, <laughs> most, most, uh, most coaches absolutely hate these 7.30 a.m. meetings. I mean, uh, I've talked to uh, Lane Kiffin about them many times, and Lane just, uh, it just drove him bonkers having to be there that early. But anyway, uh, on this particular day in Tuscaloosa, uh, Saban, uh, he's meeting with his staff, 
Uh, and he and his staff have a tea time that day at Kiva Dunes in Gulf Shores Golf Course. Uh, and it's about a five-hour drive from Tuscaloosa. And so Siski, he thought, okay, we got to get out of this meeting by 10.15 at the latest. And, and Saban, if we don't, Saban's going to be really upset because he's going to be late for the golf tournament. He's going to be late for uh, the press conference there at the golf tournament. He's going to be late for everything. And, and Saban hates being late. Um, he really, he's a big believer. Like you're, there's one of two things. There's early and there's late. <laughs> there's no on time. Uh, it's a, a military thing that my dad taught me as well. Hammered that home. Um, so, uh, and, and uh, Kirby, who is then, Kirby Smart, who is then on Saban's staff as a defensive coordinator, he came up to Siski and he said, hey, uh, and, and the plan was they're going to fly, obviously, from uh, the, the Tuscaloosa airport down to the Gulf. And, uh, and he said, Kirby warned uh, Siski, like, hey, look, you have your bag packed and you have it by your door in your office. And when he says it's time, go grab your bag and you run to the parking lot. And uh, <laughs> Siski's like, wait, are you serious? And so uh, it turned out that the meeting, it ran till nearly 11. And, but then, you know, Sabin, he, he's got this all planned out in his mind. And so as he's wrapping up the meeting, he looks to his coaches and he gives them the green light go get your clubs and get ready and suddenly just it was like spilling a bag of marbles the coaches just scramble out of the office running to get uh get everything they need from their office uh Saban obviously he has somebody grab his bag and and his, his get his bag of, of of change of clothes and and his clubs and then uh they uh, <laughs> um, just, it was uh, one hour and three minutes. At, it was at 10.57. That's when Saban, in, in the, in the, in the uh, meeting, um, and it was one hour and three minutes before the tea time. 10.57 a.m., Saban took off his reading glasses, and he just calmly says, all right, boys, I told them we wouldn't be late. Let's go. And so the coaches just, they run down the hall, you know, get their stuff, and then they get out to the parking lot and uh, Saban has uh, two vans there. And uh, someone who is sort of in charge of everything said, all right, offensive coaches in this van, defensive coaches in this van. And then, uh, <laughs> then Saban had arranged for a police escort. So they get an escort through town that takes these two vans of coaches, not just to the airport, but to onto the runway. And the jets are already cranked up. They're not on the taxiway, they are on the actual runway, just ready to lift off. And so the buses, or the vans pull right up, and then the coaches grab their stuff, run onto the plane, and and boom, uh, 23 minutes later, they land in Gulf Shores. 
uh, and uh, Sabin and others get onto the range at 11.57, uh, or I'm sorry, get onto the golf course at 11.57, uh, just 60 minutes exactly from when they're sitting in the staff room. And that just goes to show you, um, again, the level of detail and organization of Nick Saban. And I know when he goes recruiting, man, it's like uh, arranging a presidential visit. Like everything is pre-planned out uh, from uh, transportation, you know, from the plane, wherever they're landing the Alabama private jet uh, to whatever school they're going to, who the point of contact is at that school. I mean, everything is arranged down to to the last detail. And it really makes uh, a, a powerful impact on young recruits. And it makes a powerful impact on high school coaches all around the country. But that uh, I, I would say that that really is one of the hallmark uh, aspects, hallmark skills of, of Nick Saban is, is simply his organization. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to be the smartest guy I've ever come across. And, and those who know Saban know that he would be absolutely uh, successful in any business he had chosen to go into. And I also believe, and many, many have told me this, that Saban would have been just as great of an offensive mind had he chosen to go down that path rather than coach defense. Um, because, you know, he did play quarterback in high school. All right. When we come back, we are going to be joined with the great Mick Gillespie. This is Big Noon Sports brought to you by Haley Sansing. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hi, 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling afternoon, partly sunny, a small chance of a shower or storm, the high 98. Fair tonight, the low 74. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Any afternoon storms will be very isolated, the high 100. The heat index near 110. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back in to Big Newton Sports. I'm Lars Anderson. And now joining us, the one, the only, Mick Gillespie. You can uh, check him out at MickTheBroadcaster.com. And 
you know, Mick, I, I was thinking about this. You really aren't just a broadcaster because I've been able to sit in with you before uh, at a Barons game for an inning or two or maybe three. And to me, you are as, as much a storyteller as a broadcaster. And it seems like you, uh, every time I get the opportunity to listen to you call a game, I love it because I don't ever know where you're actually going to take me as a listener. I'm serious. I'm serious. I think that really makes you unique. I mean, is that is that something you learned by watching somebody else, or is it just a style that you developed? Man, that's a great compliment. Um, you know what? Broadcasting baseball is an art, at least it used to be, and Part of that art is storytelling, you know, kind of a, I'm a folksy, old school type of guy. I like to get in there and, and you're right. I mean, try to figure out different avenues to, to tell stories, you know, like uh, one of one of the things I do every day on my broadcast is I do uh, this date in baseball segment, you know, and at this point I've been around a while. So some of the dates repeat, you know, but the stories don't repeat, you know, like you talk about Willie Mays. In his first game, which uh, he left Birmingham about a week ago to go to Hagerstown when he joined the Giants. And, you know, part of that is he's the first ever black player in that league at the time, you know, which people really don't think about that. We always think about Jackie Robinson, but he was the first ever black player in uh, whatever the D league he was in. Um, people came to the games because they had never seen a, a black baseball player. They just wanted to see him play. And he didn't have much money. His aunt packed him a sandwich and sent him off on a train. He missed the senior prom, you know. So <laughs> every time I try to get on the air, I'm looking to kind of find that little niche in there that might make it tough for someone like you to get out of their car. You know, I just want to be stuck there listening to <laughs> what the point of the story. Yeah. And how much of yourself do you share uh, when you are broadcasting a game, like personal <laughs> anecdotes? Well, you know what, more now than I used to. Um, and I think part of it is that it is that I've been around long enough now where people kind of know who I am. And um, it, it's like they invite you into their home every day for three hours and listen to you talk. So you, you know, it's a little easier to say, hey, you know what, here's something that happened to me or here's what I think. But I, I try to keep it, I don't know, that stuff's kind of rare, you know? Yeah. Um, we, uh, I don't know, it, it, in this world, you know, sometimes you, you to make everyone feel like they're enjoying the, the show, you kind of have to keep it uh, in, in a certain direction. And, and I believe in being inclusive. I mean, I think that's what makes what I do great is that, you know, I don't want to get into my politics or I don't want to get into stuff that people aren't going to be comfortable with. I want everyone to pull up a seat at the bar next to me and we'll talk about the game and maybe maybe we'll talk about how bad the relief pitching is or how good this guy runs the bases. And I think that the secret for me is as long as I'm doing that, people, you know, uh, everyone feels like they got a seat at the bar. You know, that's what, that's what you try to do, I think, anyway, as a, as a play-by-play guy. Yeah, um... I just think the when you do share your own experience, as long as it's relevant and not too self-indulgent, it makes you authentic 
right? Especially yeah. when, it, oh, especially when it's self-deprecating, right? When you look like an idiot <laughs> and you do something really yeah. dumb. But yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've uh, yeah, oh yes, it happens to me on a daily <laughs> daily basis. Uh, <laughs> okay, before we get into the uh, uh, Yankees no hitter last night, haven't had a chance to talk to you yet about the College World Series. And uh, in just uh, before we get into uh, the entire College World Series and, and uh, our, our buddy Ryan McGee, who's been covering college baseball for a long time at ESPN, said in a, in a piece that uh, this was the greatest College World Series ever. And, and that really makes you sort of take notice if, if Ryan is saying that. But let's focus first just on uh, LSU and the finals and LSU Florida uh, your thoughts I mean just bizarre bizarre I, and I was able to attend game two in Omaha it was the first time I'd been to the the new stadium where uh, where the College World Series is played and and I, I was overwhelmed by one the, the the beauty and the vastness of that stadium, and two, how many freaking LSU fans traveled to Omaha? I mean, that place it was like five to one LSU fans. But but you're you're could just just walk us through the series, the games one, two, and three, and in your analysis of, of how it all shook out. Yeah, look. Uh... I, I feel like uh, college baseball is at a really good point right now because uh, the, the major league game, I think some people question the reason why people play. You know, is it about the money or is it that you love the game? And I, the, the fan experience this year was awesome. I mean, you could tell that the, the guys out there were playing because they love baseball. And, um, and, I, and I think that the, the people really got behind that. Um, the funny thing is, I, you know, the series was really won in game one. You know, I mean, Florida had the lead. LSU, you know, came back and then won the game. And then game two, um, I was telling some buddies of mine this while I was watching Florida. Um, we had this baseball, minor league baseball manager uh, named Buddy Bailey one year. And... Um, Buddy used to say when when teams would have those really big games, he would say uh, they gonna they're gonna be so tired tomorrow, Lord, they ain't gonna be able to run on it. <laughs> and it and it and he really meant it, you know. He he meant that, you know. Like you play these games, and it's like everybody ends up getting six at bats, and they're always on base, and they're not resting, and then they're in the field. And he was like, you know, look at how many times a team has a game like that, and then they come back the next day and they have a problem scoring. You know, and um, and then the other thing is uh, that I kind of knew LSU was going to come back was uh, Jared Kingery, who was Alabama's star pitcher in 97, back when Alabama used to compete with LSU and it was a big rivalry. He said, you know, I, I want to say it was 98 maybe. He said, you know, we killed them, you know, and scored 28 point runs against them one day and then the next day we lost, you know. And that's just kind of the mentality that they have over there that they've established going back to Skip Burtman. So he told me the other day on the phone, he was like, man, two things. He goes, first off, I probably never told you how much fun I had at the College World Series. Uh, and then the second thing is he's, you know, just talking about the culture at LSU and he thought they were going to win. So um, there's tons of LSU fans. that That's the, the fan base that I think has kind of set the standard. 
even though we have so many great ones in the SEC. But it's because they win championships and they've done it again. They're like the Alabama football baseball. Yeah. Um, do you think it helped? I mean, somebody made this point to me and I shared it yesterday. Do you think it helped LSU the fact that it was a day game in which they got throttled, right? Uh, and in, in, in the players, it, it got out of control so early in the game that it's almost like the players could check out mentally, right? And, and just say, ah, you know, uh, it's not that huge of a deal. It's just one game. And then they had the rest of the night to kind of get over it. And then they didn't have to play until uh, 6 o'clock Central the following day. Do, do you think that helped at all? Or is that just these are just baseball players and they understand that, hey, it's just one game? Yeah, look, I, I think that it just it comes down to the next day's pitching. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're Florida and your guy throws strikes, you're probably not in a predicament in the first inning where you take yourself out of the game. You know, you had the early lead, you know, and, and um, I, I think they made it easy on LSU. You know, people say hitting's contagious. I, I think that's part of it. I think what's contagious is that if you can go up and relax and not worry about the outcome of your at-bat, you're going to be more successful. You know, what does Nick Saban talk about in football, you know? Do, yeah, don't you know, worry the about process, outcomes. Right? Yeah. Right, right. And baseball is that kind of game, you know. And all of a sudden, you get you, here's a walk-in a run, and then a walk-in another run, and then, you know, a, a seeing-eye base hit. And then instead of being up by a run, you, you know you're down by two. And then all of a sudden it turns into a big inning, and everybody on the team's like, hey, we're going to win this. Let's just keep scoring, you know. So the part of the, you know, Kingery, you know, talking about him again, he was a closer for Alabama, and I think probably the greatest reliever they've ever had. And he liked to pitch in the in the close games. And and part of the reason is that it, it, the pressure that it puts on the batter. You know, if you're down by three or up by three, you know the closers like him. You know, I mean, they're not as effective. You know, part of what what he what he would do is you know set you up with a changeup, and um, you know and force you to have to to hit his pitch. And the pressure's on you to have to get on base and do something with it, you know. And so, um, that's that to me was what happened in the game. I mean, they just they Florida put themselves in a spot where LSU could relax, and it got ugly fast in the in the championship game. And you know, and honestly, I think the one the one part of the College World Series which I would like to see is, you know, if we could get it to where the pitching lined up a little bit better. Because it just felt like those last two days, we, you know, we, we didn't have the Wake Forest, LSU, you know, game three pitching matchup where you got two guys that are going to be future first rounders. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to find somebody that can go out there and throw pitches. And um, one of the things that made this a great World Series was that, uh, you know, Wake Forest and LSU played three times, and we got three great games from those two teams. And, I, and honestly, they were the two best teams in the country. Uh, they shouldn't have been on the same side of the bracket, in my opinion. I would have loved to have seen them in the, uh, you know, the final three games. But sometimes that's the way it works out, you know. Um, you know, and, and LSU kind of facing elimination found a way to get it done, and and uh, which is, I, and I agree. I think this. This whole from super regionals on was as good of a college world series as I ever remember. 
Yeah, I, I think I paid more attention to uh, to the college uh, baseball playoffs and World Series than I ever have. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, the wind was definitely blowing out at game two of the finals in Omaha. And there would be fly balls. I swear, it just looked like routine fly balls that uh, wouldn't even have reached the track were uh, flying out of the stadium. And I'd, I'd never uh, been at a stadium where the wind was blowing that hard out. But, um, all right, let's switch it over to the major leagues. Uh, some uh, history was made last night with uh, Domingo Germain. Is that how you it? Is it a German? Um, just throwing a, a, a perfect game. The, it's a fourth in uh, Yankees history, 24th of all time, and uh, the first since 2012 when Felix Hernandez threw a perfect game. Um, and, and, and it was crazy is, is this pitcher has been horrible in, in recent outings. Uh, he's, in his last three starts, he's given up 16 earned runs and 21 hits. Uh, can you explain this to me? <laughs> explain how yeah. a pitcher goes from struggling uh, epically to throwing a perfect game. Well, a couple things here. Um, I got a text last night while I was sleeping because I went to bed early from Ben Ingram, the voice of the Braves. And he said, hey, your boy is about to call a perfect game. And he was talking about Yankees broadcaster Justin Shackle, who is my boy. I mean, he was my partner at Smoke for the Smokies. Uh, I helped him get the uh, the Mobile Bay Bears job when uh, when he left my my assistant. Actually, Wayne Randazzo, who's the Angels broadcaster now, um, left and asked me what I thought. And I said, "Hey, take this kid. Uh, he's great." And um, so. You know, you, you catch the end of the game, and, and to me, I was more nervous just about Shaq getting the call right, you know, because you're going you're, you're gonna to be remembered for the rest of your life because you're one of the 24 people that just got the call, uh, a, a, you know, a perfect game for the home, you know, the, the, the home team, you know, even though they were on the road. Um, Oakland's not, you know, not great. They have some good young players, but they're one of the worst teams in baseball, and, and that still doesn't mean they're not a major league team. Um, I was amazed that it happened. And, you know, that's the thing about about these pitchers is that, you know, sometimes they're one, you know, at the major league level, they're one adjustment away from getting back on track. And, you know, you're talking about sometimes just the way that you cut a pitch or the sequence that you throw. Sometimes you're tipping pitches. Sometimes your arm gets tired. And, and because of that, um, you know, you're not as accurate or you don't have the velocity that you had before. You know, there's a lot of factors in, you know, in what happens result-wise with pitchers and in Major League Baseball. But if you're out there, if you're one of those guys on the team, then uh, I can tell you that you're good. Just hey, a special night all the way around, I'll tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mick, can you stick around for a while? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. A lot, lot more. You. Awesome. Um, I want to get into the catcher who caught the perfect game last night when we get back. This is Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson and Mick Gillespie. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. 
Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Don't miss their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoots apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Fiori, Grayson, and Miz in Maine. And if you haven't tried the Miz in Maine dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. Welcome back into Big News Sports. It's Laura Zanderson. Our guest is Mick Gillespie. Mick, uh, the catcher last night, uh, Kyle Higishoika? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm so bad. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. But he uh, now has the... Uh, he, he made history last night as he became just the second catcher in history to catch a perfect game and a no-hitter. He caught a no-hitter back in 2021 and uh, from uh, Corey Kluber and uh, <laughs> another name. And uh, in, in, uh, he now joins the great uh, Yogi Berra as the only catcher to catch multiple no-hitters. How? So this leads me to the question. How important is the catcher in in the process of achieving a no-hitter and achieving a perfect game? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's really important. I mean, they're, they're helping you, uh, you know, call pitches. And, and also, I, I don't know, when I pitch, you get a good catcher, and it's like you guys are in sync, and sometimes you guys are thinking the same thing at the same time. And uh, sometimes... You don't want to think. You just want them to show, tell you what to do, and, and you just do it. You know, some guys, it's easier for them to do that. But um, it's this is so rare. But you even see it with teams that win the World Series and, you know, and kind of have to go, you know, and go through the playoffs and everything else. The, the catcher is really, really important. It's, it's a position that is uh, sometimes underrated in baseball, but – there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, you know, if, if, if he doesn't have uh, an awesome catcher back there, and, and some of these guys, they, they catch more than, than one no-hitter, um, and it's because they're really good. So, yeah, I think he deserves credit, too. And um, why is it that catchers 
seem to uh, there's more there's more catchers who become managers than any position player. Is it because that they are so mentally involved in the game and they're communicating constantly with the the manager uh, and they're seeing the tactics and uh, sort of the shifts and, and, and everything that goes into it? Is that why just because they're, they're literally the only player on the position player on the field that is can see the entirety of the field? Well, it's because you're also, as a catcher, you're also kind of managing the game in your head a lot of times. At least the smart ones are. Um, you know, you're, you're thinking ahead, you know, uh, you know, what pitch you want to throw in a certain spot, um, you know, how to move the runners. I, I just think that you're, you're, you know, you put some of your smartest guys in that spot. Um, and I think that that's why those guys always seem to go on. They just understand the game. You know, I've met a lot of players who will come up and talk about the game the night before. And I realize that they really don't know much about the rules of the game. You know, they'll ask me, but you know, why did something happen or would the umpire do here? And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I would figure everybody would know that that they're just athletes, you know, just go out there and do what they're told and, you know, and just kind of make plays. Catchers are, are, you know, they're, they're more towards, hey, look, I'm behind there. I'm, I'm trying to think ahead. You know, what can I do to help the team? Maybe they're not always the best offensive players. But, um, you know, they're, they're managing a pitching staff. And, um, and I'm, I'm guessing that that's why. That, that, that over the course of time, you're right. I mean, catchers always seem to be the managers of baseball teams. Sometimes pitchers. Not a lot of position players. It just seems like it's always somebody involved in that battery. Right now in the majors, who's the team to beat in in your mind? And and who do you think ultimately is going to, what two teams will make the World Series? If if you were forced to pick right now. Yeah, I've told you guys before, I really like the Braves. I I like the way that the Braves are put together. Uh, They're still young. They have the experience of winning a World Series. They have gone out and, you know, and changed the roster, but they've added great players. Um, you know, Acuna and Albies and, you know, and Olsen. I mean, every time you turn around, it's like they just seem to make the right move as far as talent goes. Plus, they know how to develop pitching in the minor leagues, which a lot of teams haven't figured out, you know, like um, the Braves you know, always seem to have the next guy that's uh, ready to step up and, and, and give them some innings. I think they're going to have the pitching. Uh, I bet they'll even get healthier towards the time that the playoffs start. So if I had to put my money on a team right now, I'd say it's it's the Braves and the NL. Um, and then in the AL, it, it's wide open. I mean, you know, what's Baltimore going to do when they get into the postseason with this young but talented, I mean, super talented roster? Uh, I, I love Brandon Hyde, their manager. You know, I mean, you, you look around the field and they've got a bunch of, of, of young stars. That team's going to end up being, you know, billionaires by the time this thing's all said and done, probably with other organizations. But they're young and they're on the same team right now. Uh, Tampa Bay is another team that's really good. We've seen them. They have some playoff experience. Um, can Kevin Cash put the, you know, put a run together where they actually win it all this year? You know, they, they're a possibility. They're the best. They've got the best record in baseball. Um, you know, watch out for the Yankees. The Yankees are kind of like Alabama, you know, where they, 
they're going to come out of nowhere and win a championship. They expect to win championships. Um, you know, they have more than anyone else. And uh, they paid a lot of money for a team that should be able to win a championship. So I would say uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the Yankees and the Braves in the World Series. again. That's, I guess if you ask me, uh, I'd say those two. I would love that. I would love that. Um, I'm still a Yankees fan, even though I don't live in New York anymore. Um, I know we, we talked a little bit about Rob Vaughn uh, being hired at Alabama, and you called it. You you, uh, you believed that Alabama was going to look outside of uh, the current staff and uh, and 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 go for a, a big name, and they certainly got it in Vaughn. Um, and then now, now his salary uh, has has come out, and um, it, he is going to be making an annual salary of nine hundred thousand, and that is a notable increase from the deal that Brad Bohannon just signed in twenty twenty one, because he was making uh, about four seventy five a year, so nearly double his salary. Are you surprised by that? Or is that just what Vaughn uh, is worth given his success at Maryland and the Big Ten? Yeah, look, uh, you know, I've told you guys time and time again, I think Greg Burns great, you know, and sometimes, I mean, look, we're in media and our our job's to be objective and, and, and we challenge the athletic department and the athletic director from time to time on stuff, but all in all, when he makes decisions, normally they're uh, they're right on the money. And I and I thought that after the embarrassment that we had with Bo Hannon, and I, you know, I I've wanted Lars to believe that it wasn't true, but I I think that it is. Um, you know, you, they really needed to go out there and 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 bring in someone that would give Alabama instant credibility, that would also tell the rest of the SEC, the rest of the country, that they am serious about baseball. And I thought that's what they did. You know, that, that was a, it was a great hire in that aspect. And, um, but it costs money, you know, and when, what they were paying Bo Hannon, uh, should have been enough for him not to, uh, allegedly gamble against his own team. But at the same time, you know, when you look at his contemporaries, he was, he was underpaid, you know, I mean, they, these guys are over a million dollars for the top coaches. And um, this gets Alabama closer. Uh, you know, is it, an, is it an expense that you, you want to pick up, that you want to occur? Well, not really. But, you know, at the same time, Bama's got a big, a big nice stadium. We saw it for the first time in a long time. We saw the old, you know, late 90s crowds back at the ballpark, the enthusiasm. You know, the, the, instead of just one guy doing the Cotton Eye Joe, it was like a Oh, line dance troupe. I mean, it was great, you know. And so I hope that, that you know, that, that Vaughn is able to uh, continue, you know, what that team was able to accomplish at the end of the year, and that's just winning the fans back. Uh, and it, and it's going to take somebody like that to uh, to do it. And, you know, at the same time, you know, when, when some of your best players are transferring to places like LSU, which to me, I mean, why not just go to Auburn? But – whatever you know um you're gonna have to go out there and recruit too yeah okay before i ask you about what sort of vaughn is known for just going back to brad bohannon for a second i i, I really 
I've, I've thought a lot about this and I just don't understand why he would put himself in such a vulnerable position, right? And, and you don't even want to give the appearance of doing something improper, much less, uh, you know, being on the, the, the phone with someone making some suspicious bets uh, or directly communicating with that person. Um, my gut tells me, and again, I, this comes from completely uninformed, no reporting done whatsoever, that this certainly must not have been the first time that this happened. But just, just your take now that you've had a chance to really think about Brad Bohannon and what happened with him in Alabama. Yeah, I mean, and I've got some sources too that's kind of, you know, told me some things and, um, First off, you know, I think it starts with, with Greg Byrne in the athletic department getting it right. Um, I mean, it's just something that you can't sit around and, and mess with. Um, I, I don't know that we'll ever have the, you know, the, the total story, but there's enough evidence there that it doesn't matter. You know, even the hint of impropriety in a situation like that with people that you're associated with, um, you know, puts you in a spot where you know you're guilty by association but um they obviously didn't know much about gambling because they would have never placed a bet like that um for a baseball game that no one else was even paying attention to and especially <laughs> in you know a place like cincinnati it was it's really honestly it was idiotic uh from that yeah. aspect <laughs> it was. you know just stupid, but you know, at the same time, I mean, to even you know to be associated with that, the University of Cincinnati, that's part of the same thing. Um, I honestly, Lawrence, the thing that it's told, it's told me is that I, I really have suspicions that a lot more of this stuff goes on, and they probably get away with it a lot more in college football. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the first real big college football scandal where you could actually bet a bet like this and it, and it maybe you know maybe raises an eyebrow but it, it's not the only bet for that game in the entire country you know <laughs> like, yeah there's there's I, the, such a full. <laughs> the the new york post headline has stuck with me and it was uh the alleged gambling scheme that got alabama coach brad bohannon fired sounds really dumb <laughs> just sort of, <laughs> it's the New York Post saying it like it is. All right, we'll be right back. This is Lars Anderson, Mick Gillespie, Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. I 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling afternoon, partly sunny, a small chance of a shower or storm, the high 98. Fair tonight, the low 74. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Any afternoon storms will be very isolated, the high 100. The heat index near 110. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson and Mick Gillespie for a few more minutes this hour. Uh, just some breaking news. 
just came out uh, in Adam Schefter uh, hinted at this yesterday. He named one name, but the NFL has suspended four players for gambling violations. Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry of the Indianapolis Colts and free agent Demetrius Taylor are being suspended indefinitely, at least through the 2023 season for betting on NFL games last season. In addition, Tennessee Titans offensive tackle Nicholas Petit Ferrer, another name that I just butchered, I'm sure, is being suspended six games for betting on other sports at the workplace. Okay, so uh, Mick, isn't there an hypocrisy here? The NFL is in bed with gambling. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the NFL, like, drives gambling in this country and the NFL is sort of tacitly embraces that and even not in even not so tacit ways what what is your uh reaction when you when you hear this and and also just that uh um, the the majority of the bets placed by uh, uh Rogers for one Isaiah Rogers they were in the range of $25 to $50. I mean, the largest wager placed uh, on his account was one, a $1,000 prop bet on the over-under on rushing yards by a Colts running back, which was one. Uh, so he won the bet. So he, he, he took the Colts running back to go over uh, a certain number of yards. So maybe he knew that the that the running back was going to be getting extra carries for whatever reason. But all right, just your reaction overall to uh, the NFL suspending five more players, four for four four for the full season and uh, and a fifth. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I put all the professional sports leagues in this category when they do business with um, you know these the gambling sites is you know they they need to have a little bit more uh, leeway because. You know, they're making money off of this. I mean, I know the players understand that there are rules, but I don't know. I mean, it just seems like a little bit hypocritical to me. Um, you know, I would love to have, uh, you know, Pete Rose reinstated. You know, now that there's actually like a stadium in Cincinnati, you know, I, I just find it a little bit ridiculous. You know, we, we had a um, Calvin Ridley, Alabama guy, got suspend it for gambling, you know, Jameson Williams, you know, two guys that we know are good dudes. And I just, I don't know. It, I guess I, I just, it, to me, it's a little ridiculous. And if they're betting on their team, that'd be one thing, but to, to be betting on, you know, just stuff like that for 25 bucks, you know, um, I, I don't know. I just, it, yeah. I, it sounds a little bit excessive to me. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Me too. Uh, a full season, and now uh, rookies are required to go to um, education uh, sessions pre before the season starts. And uh, there's six key rules of the gambling policy that NFL officials emphasize. And that's one, don't bet on the NFL. Two, don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a team hotel. <laughs> These are... These are insane rules. Three, don't have someone bet for you. 
Four, don't share team inside information. I mean, that's obvious. Five, don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. And six, don't play daily fantasy football. What's your guess? Five years from now, do you think any of those rules will exist other than don't share team inside information? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, uh, this is something yeah. that they're going to have to negotiate next time they do a a contract with the NFL. You know, where the where the players' union gets involved and you know and kind of makes the case for the players to be protected. But um, it would be nice if there was a uh, you know first time offenders policy. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. And if you can go through uh, some deferral system, right? <laughs> like yeah. go do uh, your community service and uh, right, right. <laughs> you get it expunged from the record. Um, all right. So finally, this is the most important question. Have you figured out who's going to be Alabama's starting quarterback this season? Yeah. Yeah. That's a million dollar <laughs> question. You know, It really is. I mean, I, I, it really makes me nervous that they went out and, and got Tyler Bookter to come in because, you know, it, it tells you that there is an open quarterback battle. But the fact that no one's transferred yet also gives you the idea that it's wide open. Uh, you know, I still think Ty Simpson eventually is going to figure out a way to uh, to win that job. But you know what? Jalen Milrow is the guy with experience. Bookter, you know, he's he, they brought him in specifically because he knows the system that uh, Tommy Reese wants to run. So <laughs> I would say those three, but then, you know, you, you watch the 8A game and it was one of the freshmen that had the, the best game. So uh, they, they've got to get it figured out soon because if you if you got four quarterbacks or you got three quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterback. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I we'll agree. figure that out, I, I guess. What do you think? I... <laughs> I think it's going to be Buckner to start the year. Now, whether he ends it, who knows? But you know that he would not have come to Alabama if he thought he was going to sit on the bench. There's just no way. And uh, and not that he was not that there are any guarantees, but I think that he most likely will take the majority of the snaps against uh, Texas. And the more you look at Texas, the more you like this team. And I think Texas is actually going to win the Big 12. I think uh, Ewers is going to be the best quarterback in the Big 12. And when Texas comes to Tuscaloosa, they're going to have a decided advantage at the most important position on the field. But I'm like you. I think long term, uh, it's going to be Ty Simpson. Um, But uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Mick, thanks so much for given us the time today uh, filling in for Matt Coulter who is uh, on a much needed and deserved vacation and uh, hope, do you have any big 4th of July plans? Yeah, Costum baseball game. Alright, alright. This is Big News Sports. Thank you Mick Gillespie. We will be right back.
securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Don't miss the... A town square media station. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Welcome back in. Hour two of Big Noon Sports. Brought to you by the mortgage miracle worker, my friend Haley Sansing. So one of the uh, biggest stories of the last few days that hasn't gotten, I don't think, enough attention uh, is the tragedy that has befallen Jimmy Johnson and his family. Uh, Jimmy, uh, in my view, is the greatest NASCAR driver of all time. He recently retired uh, from from the uh, NASCAR's uh, top series full time. And so he's just picking and choosing his races. And he was going to be racing this weekend in Chicago but he pulled out because of what uh, is being reported uh, happened on Monday, so a few days ago, um, in what was a uh, murder-suicide in uh, Muskegee, Oklahoma, and it involved his, uh, his, his in-laws, his father-in-law and his mother-in-law. And um, the police, just to, just to recap, here uh, at around 9 p.m. on Monday night, the uh, Muskegee Police Department received a call from a woman who said, quote, there was a disturbance and someone had a gun. And then this person hung up. And then when the officers arrived at the home, the deputy saw a person lying in the hallway inside the front door of the home. And they quickly ascertained that that person was deceased. And uh, that was ultimately uh, the uh, Jimmy Johnson's father-in-law. And then uh, the police began calling out for other people inside the home to come outside. As soon as more officers arrived at the scene, uh, they entered the residence and began searching and found two more people deceased. And so the three total deceased were 69-year-old Jack Janway, 60, his wife, uh, 68-year-old Terry Janway, and their grandson, this 11-year-old Dalton Janway. And uh, the police are labeling this a murder-suicide that uh, the uh, wife, Terry Janway, first took the life of her husband and then took the life of her 11-year-old grandson. And I, I just, uh, 
you know, it is such a tragedy uh, and I don't know the details behind it, of course, other than what I just said. And, uh, you know, Jimmy, who I've gotten to know very, very well, uh, I think I wrote three cover stories on Jimmy and I got to know Shandy, Chandra, uh, really well. Um, she did, did, did extremely good. Uh, she did extremely well in her profession and she was a, a professional model, modeled all around the world. And, uh, and she and Jimmy, I think met on a kind of a blind date and it took Jimmy all of about two, two minutes to figure out that this is the woman he wanted to marry. And the thing about uh, Shandy is that, uh, yes, she does look like a supermodel, but she is as nice as anyone you'll ever meet. Uh, she, uh, um, you know, they had a, a pet turkey growing up uh, in, in Oklahoma, in this small little town in Oklahoma. And uh, whenever I would, uh, you know, see uh, Shandy and Jimmy like before a race, you know, she'd always come come over and, and say hi and check in on me, and and you know, we'd just have a, a pleasant conversation because there's often times in sports, especially when you're around people a lot, and that's you you, and that is exactly what happens with NASCAR. It's like, you know, the traveling circus just goes from point A to point B to point C. And uh, at one point I was covering, you know, 19, 20 races a year. So you, you see the same people every weekend and, uh, you know, you just become close with them. I mean, reporters and their subjects don't normally become that close, nor would I advocate for that uh, if I were an editor. Uh, but you know, as long as you just try to be as objective as possible and fair, uh, I think that that's okay. So um, anyway, it, it's just devastating. And uh, you, you would think that, uh, uh, you know, there may be some mental health issues going on. Uh, not really sure. But he just, uh, you know, Jimmy drove for Rick Hendrick. And uh, I, I recently uh, worked with Rick on a, on a very, very long project. And um, it, it took me back to the 2004 Hendrick airplane crash uh, when I think it was uh, nine people who worked at, uh, worked for Hendrick Motorsports, including uh, Hendrick's brother, uh, Hendrick's like, longest friend, two of Hendrick's uh, nieces, uh, and, and a couple other Hendrick employees. Um, they were, they and, and Hendrick's son, Ricky Hendrick, um, who was sort of going to be the heir to the empire at Hendrick Motorsports. And Hendrick Motorsports is an empire, make no doubt, there's no doubt about it. Um, so all those people were lost in the, and on the manifest that day was Shandy, uh, Chandra. Chandra's name was on the manifest. And so there was a brief time at uh, Martinsville Speedway. Uh, that's where everybody, that's where the race was that day. 
and the Hendrick plane left uh, a little airport right right next to Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, it left that morning, and for whatever reason, Chandra's name was on it, and uh, she ended up not getting on the plane. She drove up with uh, with her with Jimmy, and uh, and so. I, you know, and Jimmy ended up, it was crazy, he ended up winning the race that day. And then, you know, word trickles in about there's a plane missing and not sure who's on it, who, uh, who could be on it. And it was just a, a horrible day. And, and, and Rick Hendrick has been through a lot. And I know that he and, and Jimmy and Shani are all still very, very, very close. And so this is just a, a, another sort of heartbreaking episode in, uh, in the Rick Hendrick uh, and, and Hendrick Motorsports story. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, Jimmy is in uh, Shani are, are certainly uh, they are they're asking, you know, for people to give them some space and just trying to come to terms with this unthinkable tragedy and uh, uh, sadly you know it's it's something that uh, it will be very hard to get over if ever and um, I think it's just a, a reminder for all of us to, to check in on on people that you could be worried about um, people that could be struggling uh, people that could be a danger to themselves or others because of uh, different issues going on in their life. Um, but uh, sad, sad story. And uh, I'm sure we'll get more details. All right. When we come back, we are going to speak with Tim Brando, Tim Brando from Fox Sports. All right. This is Big News Sports. I'm Lars Anderson. We'll be right back. Sports Talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling afternoon, partly sunny, a small chance of a shower or storm, the high 98. Fair tonight, the low 74. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Any afternoon storms will be very isolated. The high 100, the heat index near 110. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. 
right, welcome back in. Big Noon Sports. Unfortunately, Mr. Tim Brando cannot join us today. He is uh, playing golf with, uh, I believe, Vince Dooley. Is that correct? Tim just texted me. Pat Dooley, excuse me. Pat Dooley. So uh, we're going to play an interview here in a little while with uh, Wade Boggs. It's one of my favorite interviews of all time and uh, some great stories uh, come from that. But in the meantime, uh, uh, Sep uh, Shirey is our uh, producer. And Sep, what, what, uh, what, what, have you, what have you been talking about today on the other shows that you've been on? We had a lot of good discussions. Um, I know with the Millers, we talked a lot about just the current state of NIL. I believe uh, Christian saw some statistics recently that had NIL valuations were, uh, nationwide at some crazy, I think like $1.7 billion maybe, and just a lot of discussions on the, the way things are going in that realm. Um, I know with Gary, we talked briefly about the situation with Georgia football, um, certainly, yeah, a lot going on in the in the world of college sports, even specifically yeah. right now. No, absolutely, and the the new college sports year begins uh, July one, uh, the last sporting event of the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three college sports season was the uh, World Series, College World Series, won by LSU uh, on Monday. And so in honor of uh, starting fresh, starting anew, uh, the new uh, turning the calendar onto a new college sports year, I wanted to go over some of the biggest storylines in in college football with you, Sep, and get your sort of analysis take. I I know you you follow this stuff as closely as anyone. Um, And so let's just start right there with Georgia. Um, over the last two years, uh, or, or the last two draft cycles, they've lost 25 players to the NFL draft, which is a remarkably high number, but it just shows you what Kirby Smart has been able to do uh, in, 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 in ma- amassing just so much talent on his roster. Um, but so the Bulldogs, they have won back-to-back national titles. They're going for three in a row. If they can win three in a row, it'd be the first time since before World War II. And you got to go back to Minnesota in 1934, 35, and 36 that college football has crowned the same national champion three years in three consecutive years. And what is uh, kind of intriguing here is how the schedule sets up favorably uh, for uh, Georgia, I, I think, uh, you know, their biggest test won't come until November 18th at Tennessee uh, in, in every other game leading up to the SEC final, uh, to their SEC final against the Volunteers. They're going to be favored by a large margin. And they're also going to be favored by when they play the Volunteers. I mean, this they are going to be favored in every game of the regular season. So, Seth, my, my question is, can Georgia do what hasn't been done for nearly 90, 89, almost 90 years? I think they can do it. I mean, I think the possibility is absolutely there, but... 
do I think they will do it? I'm going to lean no. I think that, you know, obviously they've been a juggernaut unlike any other over the past couple of years. But, um, you know, they're losing, I think, a bigger piece than people want to give him credit for. And that's Stetson Bennett. Um, Stetson Bennett, I mean, managed that team offensively, you know, and maybe at times he didn't wow you. At other times he did wow you. But, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of just assuming that, yeah, Georgia lost an amazing team and then loaded right back up and went and won another championship. You know, what's to say they can't do it a third time? I think, you know, Stetson Bennett is going to come into play, you know, and who knows? Maybe we'll see that possibly Stetson Bennett was holding them back. I don't think that's the case. I think that he was an excellent game manager, uh, did everything that needed to be done to win, um, was a very good winner. You know, it's going to be curious to see how they do without their fearless leader of the last few years. But, you know, another thing that I just I kind of want to make a brief mention of here when it uh, comes to Georgia coming into this next season and as far as things that could potentially slow them down is the whole uh, story coming out of the program recently. I believe the uh, the definitive article recently was published by the, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I haven't read the full article from them. But there seems to be gathering, you know, more smoke, more smoke, more incidents of uh, Georgia football players having discipline problems and not just, you know, your run of the mill discipline discipline problems, but, um, you know, endangering the public, uh, you know, racing, uh, sexual assaults, stuff like that, that, you know, it, it, it's, you know, every program has that and every program, you know, you could say is when you get to that point you could be suffering from success where you know it's just that's what happens when you have that many eyes on your program and that many people involved in a program that you can't keep tabs on every single individual person but you know it's just going to be interesting to watch if uh if it becomes more and more of a narrative this summer that uh kirby's got a bunch of you know guys down there that are maybe making questionable decisions and you know how will that impact georgia I, I i could just see that becoming a bigger and bigger narrative as the summer goes on and stuff like that can start to distract a program if it becomes too prevalent and honestly as of right now i'm, I'm going to make a little prediction that that's going to be like georgia's own mind is going to be the thing that stops them more than any other team like you said their schedule is a cupcake walk i mean tennessee is really their their only competition and even then they get to wait half the season to play them uh really get things clicking so it's going to be interesting to see i'm going to go ahead and say no georgia will uh not win a third and i'm going to give one more reason real quick too i think that you know maybe this is a homer opinion but i think nick saban and alabama are still too good to allow a team in the sec to come in and just do that uh, even with it being Kirby, even if with it being this program that he's you know built up steadily over time, I think Saban is too good. I think Alabama is too good. I think that you know if the Crimson Tide handles business and meets Georgia in the SEC championship, I do not think Kirby gets out of that one. And what do you know of about Carson Beck? I know that he is yet to be named the starter, but I, it, it's all indications are he is going to be the starter. I remember when uh, he was uh, coming out of high school, uh, Alabama was after him, and ultimately he chose Georgia. 
And uh, if, uh, you know, if Stetson Bennett had stumbled at all this last season, I think Beck would have been the guy. But uh, what are you hearing just from uh, the the people that you've talked to about Carson Beck? And uh, I think it will obviously benefit him the fact that the schedule is just a cakewalk. And so when it gets to the time that games actually matter, he'll have uh, quite a bit of experience under his belt. But uh, what, what about Carson Beck? Uh, what's your analysis of him so far? Well, I mean, honestly, I don't think much about Carson Beck, but, I, you know, considering who he is, you got to at least take a little stock about him uh, being an Alabama football fan. And that's like I kind of hinted, you know, it could be a step down from Stetson Bennett, but at the same time, you know, all signs point to him being a better quarterback. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it. one would think that if he can come in and really get the, you know, mental aspects of running that offense down, that Georgia could very well be a better team uh, with him at the helm. And, you know, that's a scary thought considering they're coming off two straight championships, but it's a reality. And while there are many things that could, uh, you know, trip them up, one of which, of course, being losing your, you know, go-to quarterback over the last few years, you know, who's to say that it it's not a, a trip up for them and that Kirby has, you know, gotten to the point where, yeah, he, he's developing these guys to where he can feel absolutely 1,000% comfortable throwing uh, back in there and the offense running just as well, if not even better, than it did under Stetson Bennett. Of course, uh, Brock Bowers, you know, that's a piece I think. Oh, man, he, he is so yeah. good. He is so good. He's insane. I think he's a- probably the best player in the SEC. Would, would you make that argument? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's – as crazy as it is to say something like that is a safe pick, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a safe pick for best player in the SEC overall. I mean, he's just an unreal tight end, unreal athlete at every level. So, you know, when you got a piece like that, you've obviously got the recruiting that Georgia has brought in. You've still got a lot of the coaches in place for the most part. Um, you know, everything that Kirby's done is is still there, you know. it's It's hard to sit here and say that they any regression that they would have would be dramatic. I think that at worst you're talking about a, a two loss Georgia team and that's at worst. I mean that's if they lose to Tennessee and then maybe have to play someone tough in a bowl game and lose again or maybe they play a Maybe they win the East but lose to Tennessee and then get stomped by whoever wins the West. I do not see that happening but uh, you know Who's to say it wouldn't because they don't play anyone. We're not going to really know until those games happen for for certain. So, uh, But, yeah, Carson Beck, I mean, certainly a a good prospect and a a seemingly more exciting prospect than Stetson Bennett was. But, you know, whenever you're changing the keys over from one guy to the next and you've had success with one guy, it it can be hard. Yeah, and uh, I like the point you make about uh, Brock Bowers. Look, I right now, I would say he's better than Kyle Pitts was at Florida. And Kyle Pitts was the highest tight end drafted in NFL history when the Falcons picked him number four overall. 
Um, by the way, they passed on Jamar Chase of my Cincinnati Bengals. Thank you, Atlanta, for that. But, I mean, if Kyle Pitts goes, is capable of going four, you would think Bowers would be right in that area. Uh, of course, it all depends on the testing, and, you know, he's got a long ways to go and all that. But I, I, I have never seen a tight end impact games the way he has. And I would say he's he's impacted him more than even Kyle Pitts. And, and Pitts, I think, was drafted as much on potential as production and so uh we'll see moving forward all right next next big question for uh or a topic that everybody across the country is going to be paying attention to and that is Dion sanders at colorado um right now he has used the transfer portal uh to uh, pick up 48 different guys in this transfer class. All right. So this makes this rebuild that he's undergoing at Colorado just revolutionary, right? It's as revolutionary as he was as a player, a two-way, two-sport uh, athlete uh, at the at the highest level. Um, do you think, Sep, just very simple. Is Deion Sanders going to work at Colorado or is it not going to work? Uh, and, and also Colorado, they come out of the gate with uh, some some tough games, right? They, they play uh, TCU, uh, who was, as we know, uh, last year's national runner-up. Yeah, they lose a lot. Uh, their home opener is against Nebraska, uh, which is a traditional rivalry. Uh, Nebraska fans are going to travel well to Boulder. And, and then uh, in conference, they play both Oregon and USC before October 1. So come October, I think we'll have a sense of where the, this Colorado program is. And so the question is, Sep, where will they be? Where will Deion Sanders be on October 1? Uh, I mean... I think that Colorado is going to be all right. I think that, you know, it's really hard to say that they'd be undefeated at that point. I think it's really hard to say that. But I think that Colorado will be all right because of two things. And that's one, I think Coach Sanders is a good coach. I think that, you know, he knows what to get out of his players. He He's learning. You know, he's still a young coach when it comes down to it. But... I think that he is learning quick, and I think he's ultimately going to be a guy who, if he so chooses to, he'll be around in college football for a long time. Um, you know, and the, the second reason, other than him being a good coach, is he's getting good players. I mean, he he goes out and he gets, obviously, we're seeing on a revolutionary level the type of uh, flow of players into that school, but... You know, while it is, like you said, revolutionary, and revolutionary is the word for it, we've never seen anything like this. Um, you know, while it is revolutionary, I think that when it comes down to it, getting good players and a good coach into a program that, you know, looking from an outside, I'm no Colorado Athletics insider, but it seems like a lot of their move and, you know, a lot of the attitude around the program is they want to win. They want to be successful. They're willing to do what it takes to have a successful uh, football program again. Because, you know, Colorado has had a good football program and they haven't for a while. But, you know, that's a school that at least historically has some success. 
And, um, you know, it seems like they want to go out and get back to that. So when you have a, you know, athletics department that's focused on that, when you have a coach that I think can do that, and when you're bringing in players that by all means are, you know, pretty high-level recruits, a lot of good talent, I think combining all those things, Colorado will be good. And they, they might not, like you said, that October point, they might not be undefeated. Uh, they, I would go ahead and say that I don't, I don't think they will be at that point. But when you're talking about the end of the year, I think you're looking at a team that is in a bowl game. I think you're looking at a team that's, you know, definitely above 500. And going forward, you know, next year even, I think you're talking about a team that's a real threat to win the Pac-12. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not confident to say that they would this year, but we'll have to see. I mean, it, it could very well happen. I think that they're going to be A-OK. Yeah. Um, I think just to – if they could make it to a bowl game uh, would be a dramatic turnaround. I mean, we're talking about a team that – I believe they were one in eleven last year. Uh, fan apathy was at an all-time high, and now uh, they had more fans at their spring game than any other uh, school by a long ways, a long ways. And uh, it, it's, I just never envisioned. And you know, I grew up in Nebraska, and it's not far from Boulder. My, my dad went to law school at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and I just, for some reason, Deion Sanders does not seem to fit in Boulder, Colorado. It just, it, it's just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, and I was surprised that he took that job. Uh, yeah, it's a Power Five job, but you know that there would have been more Power Five offers coming down the pike, and maybe he just didn't want to wait uh, at uh, Jackson State uh, and and coach another year uh, for the HBCU Jackson State. But um, yeah, I, I think if they can get to six wins, become bowl eligible, uh, that would be a significant victory. All right, Seth, we got uh, – let's just keep talking college football here. I, I, I got a bunch of more questions for you that uh, we can go over. And, again, we are kind of uh, resetting everything as July 1st approaches. July 1st marks the official beginning of the new college athletic year. Uh, all of college athletics for 2022-2023 are over. That season is done. The last event was the College World Series, and now we are looking ahead to next season and specifically what we love talking about the most here, college football. You're listening to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson and Sepp Shiree. We'll be right back. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, 
Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. He's actually better than a lot of maybe Alabama fans or SEC fans wanted to give him credit for when he was with Auburn. Um, but yeah, when you start, I mean, and like you said, DJ Ungalale, like when you throw in a guy like that at a program like Oregon State, yeah, I mean, I think that the Pac-12 quarterback room, when you just look at it, could be the most uh, established, the most proven, and maybe ultimately the most talented in the country, yeah. And throwing uh, Shade, Shade Dewar Sanders, Dion's kid. Yeah, absolutely. He's gonna he's gonna be the he's gonna be the face of the Colorado offense. He's he's quarterback and man, uh, yeah. At, at right here at preseason, right now we're not even into preseason yet, but um, right here at the end of June. I would say that the Pac-12 has the best collection of quarterbacks out of any conference in the country. Um, All right, so another question for you. Is this the year, and this is a Big Ten question. We're we're heading to Big Ten country. We're heading north to uh, the states of Michigan and Ohio. Um, Is this the year that Ryan Day, the Ohio State head coach, uh, snaps his losing streak against Jim Harbaugh. And uh, it's crazy. Like, uh, <laughs> Ryan Day, all right, I love this guy. He just, he speaks the truth. Uh, he doesn't candy coat stuff. Uh, I, I, I just, I have, I have great admiration for him. And his record is 45 and 6. Ohio State has made the college football playoffs three of the four years under day, and they've never finished lower than sixth in the AP poll. But he is under intense pressure. Why? Because of back-to-back double-digit double-digit defeats to Michigan. I mean, you have some people, some uh, fans uh, of Buckeye Nation, they want the guy fired. I mean, this is crazy. It's crazy, right? Have someone that successful and you, you lose twice to Michigan and suddenly you're a bum. But uh, what, what do you think? Is this, is this the year that Ohio State reemerges as, uh, as, the big, as the king of the Big Ten? I mean, I think that, yeah, I think they finally get it done against Michigan. I hope not. I mean, personally, I don't know where you fall in that rivalry or how much you care, but... I just I've always hated Ohio State more than Michigan, so whenever that game comes around, I'm always rooting for Michigan. Um, but yeah, you know, it's weird. Like Alabama fans and Ohio State fans do not get along. I think 2014 just added fuel to that fire. I mean, I, I can. Speak oh, they're back still. To being t- a 13, oh, they're, they're still talking old. about. It. They are still talking about that game in Columbus, Ohio. They're still saying, "Oh, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, bust open another 45-yard touchdown run." I mean, seriously, they are living in that game. It's incredible. It's incredible. I have yeah. a lot of friends up there, and there there does seem to be a particular 
kind of animosity between Ohio State and Alabama that I, I haven't re- really been able to, to pinpoint. But, um, I mean, Day has done a really good job recruiting. And these last two years have been surprising to me. I, I mean, I, th- I thought Ohio State would beat Michigan both times. Uh, what that has done is, is uh, saved Jim Harbaugh, uh, his, his job for sure. Uh, I don't know if he would have lost it anyway, but there were uh, plenty of people in Ann Arbor and, and, uh, and you know, powerful donors, uh, supporters of the program who were already starting to have wandering, wandering eyes and looking at who could replace Harbaugh. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm really into this game, and every year it's uh, it, it's must see TV. I mean, to me, right now, uh, I mean, given the fact that how Auburn has been struggling, would you say that this is the biggest rivalry in college football? Just just in a, a one year. You know, just in in this limited one year window, I'm not talking about of all time, but but given the how lopsided Alabama and Auburn appear to be right now, would you say that Michigan Ohio State is sort of the marquee rivalry? Yeah, um, I would say so. And I, you know, as an Alabama fan, I hate to say this, but I think if you asked around the sport and around the world, even you know what is the premier rivalry in college football you you might get ohio like ohio state michigan is probably winning that poll i think you know just overall even year in year out it's it's the game you know it's you know the iron bowl is the iron bowl and that's the game and they're basically those are the two premier rivalries in college sports um but yeah especially when you look at you know, I would say Auburn failing to hold up their end of the bargain because when you look at Michigan and Ohio State, both teams are generally competitive. Obviously, Michigan had some down years in there. But, uh, yeah, with Auburn being in the state it's been, uh, you know, and that's not to say that every now and then, even with a subpar team, they don't try to throw a little surprise in there for us. But, um, yeah, going into this season especially, I mean, well, we'll have to see what Auburn does. I mean, Hugh Freeze could certainly get them going around uh, very quickly, but we'll just have to see. And at the moment, yeah, it, Michigan and Ohio State is seemingly on the surface, objectively yeah. a more competitive and more compelling football game. Yeah, um, that all could change, though. You're right. I, I think that uh, I think Hugh Freeze is absolutely the perfect coach for Auburn and uh, I know the Bama Slayer yeah he is he is Uh, and that should be a source of uh, concern among the Alabama fan base and we'll have plenty of time to talk about Hugh uh, over the next few months all right you're listening to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson and Sepp Shiree we are going to be back for our final segment with more college football talk can't get enough Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. 
This is Big Noon Sports. Don't miss your clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops apparel. Clothing designed for the modern day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Miz and Main. And if you haven't tried the Miz and Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel redefined. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sizzling afternoon, partly sunny, a small chance of a shower or storm, the high 98. Fair tonight, the low 74. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Any afternoon storms will be very isolated. The high 100, the heat index near 110. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 98 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back in to Big News Sports. Brought to you by Haley Sansing, the mortgage miracle worker. It's Lars and Sepp here. All right, Sepp. Here's my prediction. Texas is going to leave the Big 12 with a conference championship. Uh, And the main reason is because of Quinn Ewers. And this kid... He's not really a kid anymore. I guess he's probably 2021. Um, he has so much potential, right? And um, and uh, and uh, he, um, <laughs> it's 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 crazy to me that he was even that people are talking about uh, him not starting over Arch Manning or uh, or uh, or Malik Murphy. Um, but he, he won the job, obviously, uh, and he was looked really good in spring crim- – uh, uh, sorry, the scrimmages this spring. Just very crisp, strong arm, uh, stands tall in the pocket, and, I mean, he just – he looks the part of an elite NFL quarterback. And then you throw in the fact that uh, – um, that he is going to have some really talented uh, five-star, former five-star receivers. Offensive line returns all five starters. This is a team that I believe is capable of making it to the playoffs. And this is a team that 
uh, I think is being overlooked by too many, including too many Alabama fans that are just like, you know, chalking this up as a W. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Sep, you you probably have your pulse on the Alabama fan base, and I'm sure you do. You have your finger on the pulse of the Alabama fan base better than me. Uh, how do you think Alabama fans are viewing Texas right now? I think the consensus is we expect to, I mean, we expect to beat them. Uh, you know, they're coming in here. We beat them at their own place last year. You know, I think that barely, the expect, <laughs> barely. Yeah. And very, viewers got hurt. Very, very stressful game. And yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's hard to sit here and say that that game would have had the same result if viewers played considering how he was playing in that game before he got injured. Um, but yeah, like I think the, the expectation is that, Alabama beats Texas. I think that's, you know, when we fast forward to that point, I think Vegas, the betting lines will reflect that. But, you know, you brought up Texas being your Big 12 champion, and I I, I want to say, yeah, you're right. But I, kind of like the other team, the only other team that in my mind I could see challenging them, and this kind of sounds weird to say, but Kansas State. Yeah, Kansas State and that program that is being built over there, I would not be shocked if they get it done. I mean, I, obviously Alabama took care of them in the bowl game, um, but watching that team, you know, before that and leading up to that, and even how they played when they played well against Alabama, I think they've got a really good coach. I think they've got uh, a program that's going to be on the rise, and not to say that Sark isn't a tremendous coach as well. I just Texas is. You know, the expectation is more there for Texas. I think, you know, like you said, a, a lot of people are going to think Texas can beat Alabama, can, you know, maybe even run the table. They've got Ewers, they've got Manning, they've got, you know, like the offensive line, they've got weapons. You know, the expectations are going to be immense for Texas. And especially, this is their last year in the Big 12. This is, you know, this is their swan song of the Big 12. And I know yeah. Texas fans have already been talking a lot of smack about you know, coming in into the SEC and dominating when, and a lot of the, you know, response has been, well, how are you going to say that when you can't even do that in the Big 12? So I think for Texas, for Texas fans, there's a lot of pride hinging on, they want to win this Big 12 championship more than maybe most years. Can you imagine how insufferable Texas fans will be if they come into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama? I'm telling you, they're some of the most obnoxious fans in the country. Uh, And uh, uh, I'm sure Matthew McConaughey will be on the sideline that day and Brian Denny. Uh, And and speaking of Alabama, this is the last question uh, of of the show for you. All right, from 2015 to 2020, that's a six-year span, included five national title game appearances, three national titles. Alabama played in just 11 one-score games. All right, that's a six-season span, 2015 to 2020. Over the past two seasons, Alabama has nearly matched that total with 10 one-score games going seven and three in those contests. Does that statistic alone tell you that the dynasty is over or is it the fact that georgia's won the last two national championship that tells you that or do you not believe that sep you got two minutes (laughs) 
Well, yeah, that's that's a lot, but I'm going <laughs> to go right at it, and I'm going to say no. I'm going to say Nick Saban is still the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. The dynasty is not over. Alabama is still consistently one of the best teams in the country, but, you know, that that is an interesting stat, and it I think it illust- for, further illustrates the issues in recent years that the Tide have had on the defensive end. I think it one it illustrates that. I think I'm not going to sit here and throw shade at Pete Golding or anything, but I think that at times, especially last year, the defense was less than optimal uh, performing, and especially in big moments, and that came down to bite us, obviously, in the two losses in the regular season. So, um, you know, that's one thing to consider, and I think another thing to consider is truly the way the game is going. I think that. You know, when the Alabama dynasty started and, you know, when those statistics started, you know, it was a lot of, you know, the way the game was played was more focused on defense, just straight up. It's the game steadily is evolving to feature more offense, more offense, more fast paced. Um, And, you know, at the beginning of the dynasty, Alabama was very much a defensive minded, defensive dominant, run the ball team. And slowly we saw that change, you know, Lane Kiffin gets brought in. We start airing out deep more, Mari Cooper, DeAndre White. You know, we see the progression to the present day with Bryce Young um, and now handing off the keys, of course, to the team we have now. But I just – I think that when you factor in the way that offense is being played, when you factor in the defensive struggles, maybe Pete Golding being a great recruiter, maybe not the best on-field coach – uh, when you factor in all those kind of things, I think it's it's hard to say that a the dynasty is dead, and I think I hate to say it, but what you said about Georgia having two back to backs yeah. is way more the dynasty is dead than the other stuff because if Georgia indeed wins three straight national championships, that's three straight years of okay. dominance. That's they are the standard at that point oh absolutely uh in in 72 days about four hours alabama will be kicking off against texas uh september 9th 6 p.m central on espn who's the starting quarterback for alabama i'm going jalen milrow i think jalen milrow is going to be the starter and a hot take i think that he's going to end the season the starter i think that the only the only reason milrow will not be playing is if he gets hurt I think Milrow starts the game. I think Simpson ends the game, and Simpson becomes the starter after that game. But we shall see. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Big Noon Sports. We will chat again in 22 hours. Tomorrow we're going to have Tim Brando on. We're going to have uh, – who else are we going to have? Chris Walsh from Bama Central. And the legend Tony Curry will join us as well. Thanks for listening to Lars and Sepp. Everybody be safe.